Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 today, or of course you can open up the uh, Bible app and find our event for today, which includes many of our sermon slides and notes. So today we are continuing to look at the glory of God and His redemption plan as revealed not just in one or two stories or one or two verses in the Old Testament, but as we watch the plan for the redemption of mankind unfold throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And We were kind of left in the last couple of weeks with visiting and spending time with Abraham and Sarah, and God had promised them that they would have a child. And remember, this is not a young couple. This is a couple that at their earliest interaction with God and his promises, they were 65 Sarai and 75 Abram. And then 25 years pass, they get a name change, which is significant in Scripture. It's about a, a change in position, a change in status. And that 25 years, they waited for this promise of a child to come to pass. And so God renews that promise a, a couple of times throughout. And then in chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, we see very clearly, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, that God came and he did. And this child is is one that is in the lineage of Jesus, the Christ, our Messiah, who would become the one who would die for your sins and mine upon that cross. And so this is a significant family. This is the family God was choosing to use to set the stage for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, and also to reflect himself into all of mankind. And so Sarah, uh, she becomes pregnant. She bears a son to Abraham in his old age. And it was all at the appointed time God had told them. And so we see that God is, is gracious, that God is good. His promises are sure. And we have this older couple, Abraham and Sarah. They are advanced in years, and yet they are having their first child together. And uh, most of us, we would think that that would be a bad thing, but here they are and they are celebrating what God has done in their lives. He has taken what scripture says to people who were as good as dead and brought about a birth from them. And and this is God's promised child. And that kind of leads us to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 21 gives us a little bit more history about who this child is. His name is Isaac, which means laughter. It's kind of God's remarkably uh, kind way of reminding both Abraham and Sarah that they had laughed at the promise that he made them. And yet he ultimately brought it to pass. And now they can laugh together at the joy he's brought them. Genesis chapter 22 now gives us kind of the next big event in the life of Sarah and Abraham and this child, Isaac. So if you have your Bible, open it up, Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. And so I'm going to read the whole story first so you can get the picture. Uh, You're going to get all the spoilers. You're going to know what's going to happen. 
But then we're going to discuss step by step exactly what it is that we can learn from this about God's redemptive plans for all of mankind and for us today. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. It begins this way. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered him. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Abraham went back to his young men and they got up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham settled in Beersheba. So we, we have this whole story, this whole history unfold. And many of us, if we ever attended Sunday school, we have probably heard this history. We've heard this story. And, and it has been interpreted a number of ways. And, and so let's take a moment, though, and, and look at it today in light of the, the concept of glory, God's glory, and the redemptive plan he has for mankind. So... The, the chapter begins with this. It says, after these things, after the birth of Isaac, after some things unfold, a treaty between Abraham and a local king called Abimelech, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered, that God spoke to Abraham and God had a plan by which he was going to test Abraham. Now, some of us might look and go, I don't like tests. I especially don't like the ones, the little fill-in-the-bubble ones. You know, number two pencil and, and the Scantron, if you're, you know, young enough, old enough to remember that. Others, you go, you know, all the way back to, you got to 
you write essays, and just tests are not fun, are they? But tests are about finding out what it is you know and how it is you will respond in a certain circumstance. And the, the writer James, Jesus' half-brother, he tells us this about testing and trials. He says this, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. James tells us that there will be times in our life where we will encounter something called a trial. And a trial is meant to mature us. It will prove our faith and, and mature our faith. And then a little bit later in verse 12, the same chapter, James write, writes, Happy is the one who endures testing, because when he has proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. James says there are trials by which you will mature. There are tests that prove that your faith is genuine. And then he says there's a third class of circumstances we will encounter. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full, of, uh, full grown, it gives birth to death. So we see in Genesis 22, it tells us that Abraham was tested by God. And so James gives us a framework by which to understand what it is God is doing in the life of Abraham. So as we go back through these this, uh, verses that we've looked at in James, we can see that there are three distinct circumstances that believers might go through. Number one is a trial. And a trial is a time of difficulty that is meant to produce maturity in your life. And, and we have all been through trials. Trials take us and they walk us through something difficult so that we will grow up as a believer. James then tells us about a test. And we see this is what God is doing with Abraham. A test is a time of difficulty, not meant to grow you up, but meant to prove that you have matured. And then finally, James tells us there's a third category, one that is not of God, but is instead, it flows from within us, and that is temptation. A time of difficulty caused by our unchecked desires. And so, Trials and tests come from God, trials to mature us, tests to prove our maturity, but temptation, the temptation to sin, comes not from God, but from within our own hearts, from our own desires. And, and not only that, but when we give in to those wrong desires, it births wrong actions, sin, and then when we continue in sin, it gives birth to death. And so it's important for us to understand what God is doing here. And James gives us this framework to see this is not a trial. Abraham has been through trials previously. And we've watched him mature and begin to, to more readily trust God. Abraham, in fact, you could say that full 25 years of waiting for God's promise to come true was one great big trial that helped Abraham to mature as a believer. 
So by the time we get to chapter 22 in Genesis, this is God looking at Abraham and now saying to Abraham, I want you to understand how mature you are. I want you to be able to pass a test. And so this test that God gives is this. God tells him to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. Now we read this, and this is just, this is mind-boggling to think that, that Abraham would even think that this is an acceptable practice. But we have to understand that in this day and age, there were gods that are literally worshipped, false gods of course, that are literally worshipped through the sacrifice of babies and children. Uh, specifically, we can look in, in history, in biblical history, and when you see the god Molech mentioned, we, we know that part of the worship of Molech was to sacrifice infants and young children in order to please the false god Molech. And so, for Abraham to be told, go and sacrifice your son, it's a big deal, but he's not surprised by it because he sees it in other gods. And so when the one true God says, sacrifice your son, he says, okay. Now understand some things. First, what God tells him to do, this is not an option. This is not, Abraham, if you really love me, would you please? This is not, Abraham, if you really want to show that you believe me, would you do this? But instead, these are commands from God. Take your son, offer him as a burnt offering. God has left Abraham no wiggle room when it comes to this test. And we also have to understand that God knows what he's asking of Abraham. This is not some sort of just offhand request, God playing games. God knows exactly what he's asking. He says, take your son and not just any son, but the son, your only son, Isaac. The one that you love and put him to death for my sake. Now, we, we, we look at this and this is just like, why would God ask Abraham to do something like this? Well, you know, tests are not meant to be easy. Tests are not meant to be trifling. They are serious. Now, we can also see in this, and we can see kind of uh, this, this uh, reverberating reflection of the cross that is to come. A father who gives his only beloved son as a sacrifice, as a, as a means of bringing others into fellowship with God. So we see this beautiful picture that, that is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus, but that doesn't mean that this is not a real test. In fact, God is literally asking Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the one he loves, the one that is a child of promise. And it isn't like Abraham's a young whippersnapper and there's, you know, the opportunity to, to replace Isaac. This is, a, this is like, why would God ask for this? But Abraham doesn't 
even question it. It says he early in the morning he gathers the wood, he gets everything together, they set out for the mountaintop, and then by the time we get to verse 6, Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering, and he lays it on his son Isaac, and in his hand he takes the fire and the knife, and the two of them walk up the mountain that God had shown him together. Historically, traditionally, this is the, the same mountain, the same hill upon which the temple is eventually built. And so this, this hill is significant to God in Jerusalem, the area of Jerusalem. This same hill is the, the one that Abraham was led to in order to sacrifice his son Isaac. This test is it's deep, it's powerful, it's meaningful. And God asks it in such a manner that he doesn't leave Abraham any wiggle room, and Abraham doesn't wiggle, he he just obeys. He does exactly what God says. And then as they're walking up the hill together, Isaac carrying the wood, Abraham carrying the fire and the knife to kill his son with, Isaac says to his father and asks, my dad, hey, We got the wood and we got the fire, but where is the lamb for the offering? Can you imagine being Abraham? He hasn't at this point told Isaac what's going on. He hasn't told Isaac what God has asked. In fact, he's kind of held on to this in his own heart, and his own mind, and he knows what all this is about. And here's his son, his beloved son, and His only son, the son of his old age when he was as good as dead, the son of the promise of God. And and, and he knows what is coming. And this son says to him, Dad, we're all ready for the sacrifice except there's no animal. How must Abraham have felt in this moment? Can you imagine just just having to turn around and and answer your son? But we see the faith of Abraham in the midst of this test. He says to Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Now, it's interesting, Abraham's answer. Most of us would expect when we read this that he would just say, God will provide. But he doesn't say just God will provide. He says, God himself will provide. So Abraham believes in in his heart of hearts, not that some some weird out there experience or influence will make things happen, but God himself will provide exactly what is needed for Abraham to walk through this test and to fulfill the things that he's asked of him. That, That God himself, by his own hand, his own plan, not some sort of coincidence, not some sort of, well, you know, we could explain it away with science, but instead, God himself, by his own hand, will provide the sacrifice. That very statement right there is once again pointing us way down the, the, the tunnel of history to Jesus on the cross, where God himself provides the sacrifice his very self in the second person of the Trinity clothed in flesh. Abraham moves on with Isaac and, and responding that God will himself provide for the burnt offering. They continue up the mountain 
and then it tells us they arrive at the place God tells them about. Abraham has to build an altar there, has to literally gather uncut stones from around and, and build a, a mound of stone. Then he arranges the wood, and then here comes the really remarkable part. This, this man who has been waiting for, for decades, literally, a century he's waited to be a father. He is now binding up the son of promise and placing him on top of the wood on the altar. And he reaches out with the knife and he prepares to kill his son. C can you even wrap your head around this? This isn't just one of his sons. This isn't just somebody he found. This isn't some animal. This is the son of promise, the one that he's waited so long for. And yet he's willing, by faith, to, in obedience to God's command, sacrifice that which is most dear to him, that which holds all of his hopes and all of his dreams. It's all wrapped up in Isaac. And Abraham is ready to give everything for the sake of walking in obedience to God. Everything that is meaningful to him is on that altar. And he prepares to slaughter his son Isaac. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! And he replied, here I am. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Hey, oh yeah, I'm here. Uh, what you want? I'm ready to listen again. Got any, any changes? Any, any, you know, any updates? Anything you want to you know, shift on this? It's interesting. We read in, in the beginning of this, chapter 22, verse 1, God says to him, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. In the midst of this test, right at the moment of its climax, God calls out to him and Abraham has the same response. I'm here, God. I'm listening. I'm ready to do what you say. And God says this, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not, only withhe since you have not withheld your only son. From me. Now, it says God tested Abraham, and this was the test. The test was did Abraham love Isaac, the promise, more than he loved God, the provider of the promise? Was his faith in Isaac and what Isaac was supposed to do, or was his faith in God? And what God could and would do. Was he more concerned with the promise or the provider? And we see in Abraham's faithfulness, he was ready to give up the promise in obedience to the provider. He was ready to sacrifice everything in his life, everything that was meaningful. And not just stuff that he'd accomplished on his own, but stuff that God had already done miracles to bring into his life. He's ready to give it all up so he can be obedient to the provider. 
And God looks down on him and says, listen, I just wanted to know if you loved me more than you love what I've given you. I wanted to know if you respected and, and, and feared me more than you feared the future that was uncertain if Isaac were dead. I wanted to know where we stood. And now I know that I'm still number one in your life. Look at how much you've matured, Abraham. Look at how much you've grown. You were willing, by faith, to sacrifice that which was miraculous and most dear to you in order to be in obedience to me. That was the test. That was what God was looking for. The result of this test was that Abraham valued the provider over the promise. He valued the one who made the promise come true more so than he did the, the, the results of the promise coming true. And, and this is a difficult thing. This is a challenging thing. We see it for Abraham. This isn't like he's like, okay, God sounds great. Let's do it. But he is struggling the whole time. And even as he is getting ready to do it, he's hoping God will do something different, ask for something different, provide a different sacrifice. And we see that God does. Abraham looks up, he sees a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, and so Abraham, he goes and he takes the ram and he offers it as a burnt offering in place of his son. How exciting must this have been for Abraham to have been tested, to have passed with flying colors, and then to see that his faith is rewarded. He gets to keep the promise, and God himself provides the sacrifice. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. The, the very mountain that was the place of the temple, that was the city where Jesus died to provide a sacrifice for all of us. That we might be redeemed. That we might not have to die for our own sin. But instead God himself provided the offering for us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then we see God renewing his promise. If you look with me in verses 15 through 18. Here's what God says. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn... Now that very phrase right there, by myself I have sworn. What is the only sure thing in all of creation? God himself. And he says, he doesn't swear on, on Isaac, he doesn't swear on Sarah, he doesn't swear on his promise, he doesn't swear on the land of Canaan, he doesn't swear on the earth or the, the moon, he swears by himself. He says, I make this promise and it is based on my own character and faithfulness. Here's the promise I make to you, Abraham. You, because you've been faithful, because you were willing to give up the promise in obedience to the provider. He says this, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous 
as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Because Abraham passed the test, he's blessed. He's blessed with offspring that are uncountable. And we find out later in the New Testament that we are the children of Abraham through Jesus. We are the children of the promise. We are among his offspring. It says his offspring will be victorious against their enemies. And that every nation of the earth will be blessed because of Abraham's obedience that day. Just such far-reaching consequences for one man's simple and yet meaningful and, and difficult act of obedience. It just continues to reverberate throughout history, even today. Now, the cool story, the cool thing is, is it's all good, right? Abraham, he goes back to the guys who are waiting for him, and then they go home, and that's where he settles. That's it. He's passed the test. Kind of makes you think of like Lord of the Rings, you know, Galadriel. Passed the test, now I'll fade off. Anyway, um, that's a couple of nerds in here. You're like, cool. A couple of you who aren't nerds, you're like, what is he talking about? Did he drink too much coffee again? Um, but but this is, this is the, the last big thing that we really hear of Abraham. Uh, some other stuff goes down, but nothing as significant as this moment. Where we see him by obedience... Setting the stage for all of us to be blessed. And in what God tested him through, we see a reflection of what God himself would do. Sacrificing his son for the sake of others. And so, how do we bring this home? How do we apply this? Well, there are some, some things for us to understand. Is that first, it's... It's critical for us to understand that God tested Abraham. And if God will test Abraham, why would we be surprised if God would test us? And remember that the difference between a trial, a trial is meant to mature you, a test is meant to affirm your maturity. And so we will experience both trials and tests, but here in this story, God tests, Abraham obeys, and in Abraham's obedience, we see God providing what is necessary. And then finally, God renews the very promise that felt like it felt like he was putting in danger as the test began. And, and how do we bring this home? How do we make this apply to our own life? It, it really begins with understanding, first of all, how did Abraham manage to even pass? This test, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, gives us an insight by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into what happens in Abraham's heart during this test. It says, by faith, Abraham. Now, what is faith? Faith is not some, some squishy, I believe kind of thing. You make some affirming statement and, and then you... That, no, that's not faith. Faith, when we look at the biblical word for faith, the concept of believing, it is not about a, a mental thing. It is that you are putting your whole life 
over into the hand of that which you have faith in. You sat down on the chair today, right? I I know I use the example of faith. You sat down on the chair. How many of you checked the chair out before you sat down? Anybody? You had faith in that chair. How do I know you had faith in that chair? Because you are sitting upon it. And now some of us have more faith than others, right? I mean, we can see that. It's um, because some of us, it takes more faith to sit on a chair. Uh, What's this rated for? Um, (laughs) This is my own self, right? We're we're actually looking at bed frames, and it's like, so what's what's that bed frame rated for? I mean, how much is it supposed to be able to hold? Um, Because we're grown adults now. But we have faith in things. We put, we put our whole trust in a chair, right? You walked in, just plop. By faith, you sat in a chair this morning. You know, what's interesting is so many of us have more faith in a chair than we do in Christ and in the Word of God. But it says that by faith, with absolute trust in God, Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. By faith, Abraham looked at all the promises that God had made about having a child, about his offspring uh, for all generations being through that child Isaac, So many promises were wrapped up in Isaac. But by trust in God, Abraham was willing to give it all up because God said so. He was willing to put aside the promises that were represented by his son Isaac because he trusted God. Now it says here, he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. God, Abraham reckoned, because he was able to give this promise through two people who were as good as dead, could he not raise up the young man from death to life? And if that's what God required for him to be obedient, was to do that, he was willing to do it. Now, of course, we know God intervened and God provided the lamb. He provided the sacrifice. And Abraham, he received his son back from being as good as dead. Because Abraham had to account for for everything and say, it's as if you are dead to me already, but I trust that God can do great things. That's how Abraham passed the test. Not by looking at the test and trying to figure out, all right, now what does God want to prove here? What's God trying to do in my life? But instead, he moved forward with confidence in the hand of God. In confidence that God would provide. In confidence that God could do whatever he needed to and that his promises were sure. Even if in this moment, it looked like Abraham would have to sacrifice the very promises that God had already delivered. So, ultimately, we boil it down. We say, Abraham passed this test.
by faith in God. And remember, it's not just, oh, I believe. Where are you plopping your butt, spiritually speaking? Where are you sitting yourself? What are you trusting in spiritually these days? Is your faith really in God? If it's not and you're putting your faith in your finances or, or your health or your job or your relationships or your country, what you will find is that you will not mature and you will not pass the tests. Because to you, the promises are more important than the provider. But Abraham, he passed this test because he had faith in God things I want you to to be certain of and to take home. You will have trials. There will be things in your life that God will use to grow you up in your faith. And some of us, we're going to pass those trials and we're going to come out better the other side because we're walking with God. And some of us, we're going to remain stunted in our spiritual lives because we try and find solutions in ourselves or the things around us. You will have trials, and to mature in your trials, you must obey by faith. You must obey by faith. Now, you might wonder, well, what do you mean obey by faith? And here's what I mean. For Abraham, the specific act of obedience was moving resolutely to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac. For us to live by faith means to take the things that we see in God's word and to do them without question. What well, well, but God, I mean, really, just one wife? It would be really cool if I could have two or three, said no man ever. But, um, and ladies, I know you don't want multiple husbands, right? I mean, that's like having more kids that just are, don't grow up, right? No, that's not true. Uh, we shouldn't speak evil of one another. But, but the, the thing is, is, God has such clear commands in certain aspects of life. And yet we say, well, God, how come I'm not maturing? How come you don't talk to me? How come, how come I'm struggling to grow up as a Christian? Are you even obeying the things he's spoken clearly? The things that he has said, don't do this and do this. And if you're not certain what those things are, read your Bible. Check it out. His word is so clear. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. That's all just Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, train them up, raise them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Are you doing those things? How come, how come it feels like God is so distant? How come I don't feel like I'm growing spiritually? Are you doing the things he's spoken clearly? You're going to have trials. To mature, you must obey by faith. And as you mature, you will be tested. There will come moments, like in the life of Abraham, where God will ask you to put the promises that have already come true in your life on the table and be willing to sacrifice them for the sake of obedience. What are the promises that are already come true in your life? Well, the truth is, Jesus tells us that the thief comes only to kill and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. 
John 10.10. And some people, when the abundant life comes, they hold on to it with white knuckles and say, but this is my abundant life. I've got a good job. I've got a good house. I've got a good relationship. We're in a great community. The schools are good. And God says, but I want you to leave it all and go here. And, and we go, no, no, but you promised. You promised. God says, sacrifice the promise for the sake of obedience. But you, you promised me, God. You will be tested. And there will come moments where he will say, put the promises that have already come true in your life on the table and be willing to sacrifice them. And the test is, will you be like Abraham and be willing to sacrifice the promise in order to be obedient, trusting that God will provide again in due time? Or are you going to hold on to the promise and fight for the promise and walk in disobedience? To pass the test, you must obey by faith. Trials are probably going to be related to things that are so clear in Scripture, nobody can deny them. Tests are going to be more personal. God's going to speak to you clearly about giving up this or walking away from that or sacrificing this good in your life in order to walk in obedience to Him. You will be tested. Will you be like Abraham and obey by faith and pass the test? Or will you hold on with white knuckles and say, no, this promise is mine. You gave it to me. How dare you to take it away from me? beautiful thing about the testing and the trials both is that when God calls you to obedience, he himself will always provide the means for you to obey. He will. He will give you the strength to sacrifice the promises. He will give you exactly what you need to walk in obedience to him in every circumstance. Even when it comes to temptations, we're told, no temptation has seized you except as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Who helps you out of even temptation? Who gives you the means to be obedient in trials, in tests, and in temptations? God himself provides everything you need for you to be obedient. Now, this... this can, we, we can even bring it home even further. Just understand that God himself has provided what you needed for salvation. Why would he not provide for you everything you need to walk in godliness? God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified his, by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? If God provided everything for his enemies to be brought to peace through his son, Jesus Christ, how much more will he provide everything that we need to walk in obedience to him and genuinely experience salvation in this life? He's going to provide everything we need. But you will be tested. And you will be tr face trials. And the only answer to all of that is to walk in obedience to what God has clearly spoken. 
to be willing to put the promises that are already fulfilled on the table, ready for sacrifice, and trust God's hand. The application's hard, right? Some of you, you might be feeling a call to ministry, but God, I mean, pastors starve. Um, and, you know, and <laughs> things are difficult. No, actually, you get, we don't, right? Many of us are blessed beyond measure. But it is difficult. And it does take a sacrifice to, to be in full-time vocational ministry. You might be feeling called to the mission field. You might be called, feeling called to switch vocations so that you can more effectively represent Jesus Christ. You, you might be being asked to sell the big house and get a small house. You might be being asked to, to I don't know. You, you know, you, you get the picture though. All these things that are blessings of God, promises come true. Are you willing to put them on the table and sacrifice them? He will provide for you. Ultimately, what this boils down to, especially for us believers, is we must value the provider over the promise. Value obedience to our Father over the things that He has given to us. And be willing to lay them all on the table in sacrifice. We see in this story this history of Abraham and Isaac, a foreshadowing of what God would do for us to redeem us, to give his only son as the sacrifice for sin. And will we take and, and value the things he's given us over himself? Or will we value him over the things and, and hold on to them loosely and be willing to sacrifice them? And what's interesting is, as a Christian, I see this applying so much to our United States. Why is this? This country is amazing. It is beautiful. It is the promise of God come true that he will use and establish nations to glorify himself and draw people to Jesus. But are we as Christians ready to understand a couple of things? Number one, this world is not our home and this country is not our primary citizenship. It is instead the kingdom of God to which we belong. And will we, as Christians, fight so hard to preserve this promise that we will defame the name of Jesus? Or will we understand that even this promise, even this beautiful gift, we should be willing to put on the table if God so desires that He might be glorified, that His plans might come to pass. Now, we celebrate, we fight for, we preserve this promise every day we have opportunity to. But we also hold loosely to it, understanding that God could require it of us at any day and be willing to give up even the beautiful promise of the United States in order for God's perfect plans to come to pass. And that gives us a perspective where we can be deeply patriotic and appreciate the gift and yet hold on to it loosely enough that we can understand God's plans might also include the demise of a promise that we love so dearly. That's just a little patriotism nugget. Hold tight while we have it. When it becomes clear that God has left us and moved on to another means of glorifying himself, to not lament but instead rejoice that God is good enough to use even bad things to bring about his perfect plans. I know that would be sad. 
but the day might come. So the things we get today from our history of Abraham and Isaac testing, we will be tested. To pass the test, you must obey by faith. And that in every test, in every trial, in every temptation, God will provide what you need to be successful in it if you will put your faith in Him. And then we can know if we chase the provider of the promise over the promise itself, that ultimately the day comes when every promise comes true in a way where it will last forever. And we can, can no, we would no longer fear losing it because it is fulfilled in those final days, in that last way in which God will rule over us and the new heaven and the new earth. So the things for you to ponder today, I, I threw a lot at you, I know. But really, are you in a time of testing or trial? Are you trusting in God's provision and walking by faith? Or are you trying to find answers in the things of this world? Are you holding on so tightly to the promises that he's given you and the things that he's already blessed you with that you're unwilling to be obedient when he asks you to sacrifice those things? These are hard questions. I hope like Abraham that many of us will pass this test. And God will say of us, now I know that you fear me and that you're willing to give up even the most beloved things in your life in order to walk in obedience with me. As the worship team makes their way up to close us out this morning, I just want to encourage you to think about where you're at. To encourage you to think about is there something you're white-knuckling and holding on to that God has asked you to put on the table? Are you in a place where you love the provider more than you love the promise so that you can let it go and be obedient? Or are you being selfish? Are you being stingy? Are you insisting on remaining immature and unproven in your faith? Spend some time with God and see what He would have of you. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to think about, is there a place in your life where you're being faced with a trial or a test and your response has been not one of obedience but instead one of rebellion and one of refusing to grow? And if that's the case, would you take a moment and if you feel convicted to do so, would you confess that to God? And then ask him to give you the strength to walk in obedience. to rejoice 
trials and the tests that you bring. Knowing that in them, your desire is to grow us up and mature us and to prove to ourselves that you really have wrought a glorious work in our lives. So help us to embrace the trials and the tests. Help us to, by faith, walk in obedience to what you have spoken to us. Being willing to give up even the most dear of your fulfilled promises in our life in order to be obedient. So today, Father, I pray that if there's anyone who's struggling with sacrificing the, the good things in this life for the sake of the best thing, obedience to you, up against fear, to stand up against selfishness, to stand up against doubt, and instead to say, by faith, I will obey. Thank you so much for loving us in such a way that even while we were your enemies, you sent your son, Jesus. You yourself provided the offering country struggles, the gospel is so readily available, and that you have made each of us partakers of this good news, but also ones to share it. We ask that you would bless this country. We ask that you would preserve it. We ask that hearts would be changed and revival might come, but we also, Lord, help us to, to hold loosely to it and trust your hand in obedience if you require it sacrifice that you might be glorified your plans might come to pass because we know more than anything that there is a country that is sure there is a kingdom that will not end there is a king that is perfect and we are already citizens in that kingdom
know how far it scale the valleys if you grace the other side know how long have I chased rivers from lowly seas to where they rise against the rush of grace descending against the source of its supply cause in the highlands and the heartaches you're neither more less inclined and I would search and stop at nothing you're just not that hard to find So I will praise you in the mountain And I will praise you in the mountains in my way You're the summit where my feet are So I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God within the shadows No
the pastures we call grace a mighty river flowing upwards from a deep but empty grave so I will praise you on the mountains and I will praise you and the mountains in my way you're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. In the highlands and the heartache all the same. the good and the bad have faith in the provider the promises they can be abandoned because he is true and he is sure by faith he will provide everything you need and those promises eventually will be fulfilled in their entirety when you see him face to face encourage you to have a great week be careful if you're shooting off fireworks Uh, I don't want to have to come to any hospital visits us with until that time that he asks it of us and then be willing to give whatever he asks by faith trusting his hand god bless you guys have a great week see ya now sunday or saturday morning hopefully guys and then next saturday we